today we continue on in our uh, in our victory series, A New Life Begins, and Pastor Scott did Jesus versus Temptation last week. Dude, it's a good one, wasn't it? It's a good one. How many of you felt a little bit more like, like you had some tools in the toolbox, some, some uh, offensive weapons? I mean, because we all face temptation, right? We all face it. And there's an, it's amazing, though, about our Savior. The Bible tells us that anything that we've ever faced, he's got it. He's beat it, right? So he's given us the ability to do that. So today, I'm going to continue on. And I, this one, I'm excited about this, this topic today. Today is about Jesus versus culture. And, uh, you know, there's some messages that, that when you're working on, you're like, you know, you're, you're pumped. It's flowing easy. And there's some that are just tough because, first of all, you know, it, we don't just get up here and say things. We got to deal with it. <laughs> I'm not trying to get up here and preach something that I can't try to live, right? And so this stuff right here is like all up in my grill. Like, this is it, man. Jesus is, is, is real. The gospel, what I love about the gospel is the gospel is just real. It's not, it's not hoity-toity and it's not all up in the air. It's real where we live. Jesus walked like we do. He faced things like we face. And so we believe that if there's a God that loves us, there's a God that fights with us. There's a God that helps us with, with our struggles, that addresses the issues that we face. So we're talking about Jesus versus culture today. So I want to define culture for you according to Webster's. And the definition is the behaviors and beliefs characteristic of a particular social, ethnic, or age group. So basically how we act, how we function, that's our culture. You know, Americans have a culture, Marylanders have a culture, Life Center people have a culture, right, hun? Maryland have a culture. <laughs> so in understanding that, you have to understand that, and we're going to unpack this today, but there's a culture that goes along with this new life that Jesus gives us. And that's what we're going to talk about, and it's pretty exciting. And so we're going to step into a scene in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus was, was on a mountain Hundreds and hundreds of people around him, and he's teaching them. And so I want to just set the stage real quick so you understand that in Jesus teaching these multitudes of people, you have to understand the snapshot of what was happening there. These people had lived under the law for a very long time. They were children of Abraham, and so therefore they knew that they were special in God's sight. But religion had become so overwhelming for them. There were so many laws and regulations and rules and restrictions that it was very difficult for someone to live according to all the rules. And then for sure they couldn't have a personal relationship with Christ because there was no Christ at that moment yet, right? There had not been this humanity, uh, this humanity connection with God. That's what Jesus was doing when he was there. So when he began to teach them things, you have to understand that we know a lot more than they did. Right, because of where we are. There was a lot they did not understand. So when Jesus starts teaching them, the average person did not have a close relationship with God. They had to walk through this whole process. If they did something wrong, they had to pick out a certain kind of animal, go to the priest and do this whole ritual thing. And if it didn't work, they had to do it again. It was, just, it was hard to do. It was hard to do. And so when Jesus sits down and begins to talk with them in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount is what it's called. He opens with, and I'm going to read 12 verses, so just hang with me. But he opens with what we call the Beatitudes, or, or it's, these, it's these blessings that he's giving to these people, giving them 
an example of something different. So starts with Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And lastly, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus basically starts off this message with lots of blessings. That's a great Sunday to be at, right? Great message to hear. He's starting off with a bang. I'm liking this guy's teaching, man. He's blessing me. I think I fit into a couple of those categories. I got, I got a good hope ahead of me and a good future. I'm liking this. And then Jesus, in his magnificent way, starts to break it down. He gets all up in the face of culture, and he starts to deal with things that are very contrary to their culture, both religious and natural. The culture that they were, they were used to, Jesus is about to blow the bottom out of it. He's about to just wreck their world, and it doesn't just apply back then. It applies now. It's incredible. So let's fast forward as he begins to unpack this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, he says, I'm going to start off talking about hatred versus love. I want to tell you something. And let's look at that. And Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, referring to the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Everybody say, yeah, I heard that law before. I got that. But, Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. At that point, he has to pause because the crowd starts murmuring. Like, oh, I don't remember hearing this one. Is this another law we have now? Is there something else we got to contend with? And so Jesus starts to explain the difference and starts addressing this issue with culture because just like back then, it applies now. Culture tells us that people who've wronged us or our family or our friends, we have the right to hate them. It's my right to hate them. You don't know what they did to me. I can hate them. You don't know what kind of life they live. I can hate them. You know, just as long as I don't kill anybody, I'm okay, right? No, that's not okay. We live in a society that's filled with hatred. I can't believe in 2018 racism still exists. But there are people that hate people because they're a different color. That's the only reason. Left wing, right wing, sexual orientation, what color you like, blue or red, you name it. People hate other people because they don't understand them. People hate other people because they don't look like them. People hate other people because they think differently from them. And so when Jesus is saying there is a law that says killing is wrong, thankfully that exists, but he says let's take it one step further because you'll be judged if you kill, but let me tell you, if, if you're hating on people, that same judgment's going to apply. See, what you'll understand when we start unpacking this a little bit more, you start to see that Jesus is taking this thing that they called religion from an outside action-oriented thing to an inward process that changes a man. I can probably live hating a lot of people and never kill anyone. Thank God. 
But what Jesus was trying to help those people understand, if you want to understand new life, if you want to live a victorious life, you've got to take it from your brain and get it into your heart. So Jesus is countering culture by saying hatred is the same thing as murder. And so he starts unpacking this, and he is just blowing these people's mind. He goes so far as to say, listen, if you're going to go to the temple, he's using their, what they understood, or if he was talking to us now, if you're going to go to church, and you're going to listen to the band sing, and you're going to lift your hands, and you're going to worship, he says, before you do that, if you're doing your mental inventory and you find out, you know what, I just do not like Scott. You know what I'm supposed to do? Before I lift my hands and start singing about how lovely God is, I need to go and say, you know what, Scott? I just don't really like you. I probably need to get that off my chest. I probably need to square that away. <laughs> he says, before you take your offering to the temple, find whoever you have an issue with and settle that issue. Because what he's teaching them and what he's teaching us is if you want to live a new life, you have to live it from the inside out. Anybody can pretend to be something for a while, can't we? We can all put on a fake. We know how to hang out with certain people and say certain things, and, and we know how to look a certain way and put on the right outfit of whoever. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. They've been doing that for years. He's like, I want you to live a better life. And if you're going to live a better life, you better figure out what's happening on the inside because life comes from the heart. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, he says, Whosoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother or sister is a, is a liar. Sorry, <laughs> he gets all in your face sometimes. <laughs> so there's no faking it here. Relationships matter. Here's the statement. The love we profess for God is best demonstrated by how we love others. The love we profess for God is best demonstrated by how we love others. So if you're one of those people that, you know, you go into work and like, Jesus this and bless this and all this godly stuff coming out of your mouth, and you're like, I hate that dude over there in accounting. He's awful. <laughs> Nobody likes accounting anyway, right? <laughs> That's a mixed signal. I worked for a guy one time, and uh, it, was, it was a business that, uh, Enterprise Car Rental. I worked for Enterprise Car Rental. And you could rent cars and then... People would sometimes not return the car. They wouldn't pay their bill. They'd have this outstanding bill. And so part of the manager's job is they have to call every week. You know, they're, hey, you know, you got my car, or you got to bring that car in because you owe me some money. And he, he, <laughs> it was hysterical because he said one day, he's like, he hangs up the phone. Like, Dude, if the answer machine says, have a blessed day, you're never getting your money. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I love Jesus. <laughs> Uh, it's easy to put on airs, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't do airs. He does living. Jesus does living. Uh, there's another one he hits pretty hard. This one's tough. Y'all, we got to tiptoe through this one because this is rough. Immorality versus purity. Man. He says in verse 27, You have heard that it is said, You shall not commit adultery. All the guys are like, Yeah, I know. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ah, There's just no easy way to deal with this, guys. You just got to face it head on, right? Culture says if it feels right, it's okay. Just don't get caught. <laughs> right? But Jesus addresses the heart again. Because sin starts with the eyes, worms its way down into your heart, and then it becomes an action. It's not that complicated. 
It's not that complicated. James 1.15 says, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, you cheat on your wife, you're not going to fall over dead. But I tell you what, we'll die. <laughs> well, if she finds out, you may die. <laughs> I tell you what does die. Trust dies. Purity dies. Innocence dies. All the things that make us moral humans die. So there's death that happens when sin conceives, right? Are you tracking with me? You following? This is what Jesus is dealing with. Jesus is dealing with the issues of the heart. Man, could you imagine? And they didn't even have the internet back then. Well, let's just keep going. <laughs> so much that that passage hits us. Guys especially, this is just where it is, right? Because it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And then I love in, in verse 29 and verse 30, Jesus is like really getting into it now. He's like, listen, if your eye causes you to sin, just poke your eye out. <laughs> he says, if your hand causes you to sin, just cut your arm off. He's like, it's better to go to heaven maimed and half blind than to go to hell. <laughs> That's preaching, y'all. <laughs> we have hacksaws in the foyer and sticks. <laughs> right? Come up for prayer. We're going to gouge your eyes out. You're going to make it to heaven. Clearly, that's not what he's talking about, is it? What he's saying is you have to be aggressive. If you've got a weakness in your life, don't lay it down for a moment. If you've got a weakness in your life, don't close your eyes for a minute. If you've got an area in your life that you're prone to falling, if it's your vices, if, if it's your guilty pleasure, if it's your weakness, whatever it is, keep your eyes open. Be aware. Be attentive. Because it's better to feel a little pain right now, not giving in to your whims, and make it to heaven than to give in to every little whim that comes your way because you just feel like it. I'm telling you, I, that Bible thing has got some stuff in it. <laughs> New life is about the change that happens from the inside out. Jesus is after your heart. Jesus is after your heart. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, you know, for all of us that say, I just don't feel like I have the strength to make it. He says this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's a promise. And... And the last thing here in these comparisons is supernatural love versus natural love. In verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I just, I just don't like this bit. You know what I mean? I just, it's, it's hard sometimes to love people, even people that love you back. <laughs> what Jesus is after here, culture says love people that love you, treat you right, you can love them. Everybody else, it's fair game. You don't have to love anybody. You don't have to love anybody. Jesus counters that again by addressing the heart. He's basically saying don't just love the easy ones. Love the hard ones too. Don't just love the ones that, you know, it's, it's easy to love some people because they're just always nice to you. What about the people that aren't nice to you? I, I'll say this. Our hearts, I don't believe our hearts were created to hold both love and hate for people. You can't do both. And the difference between God's love and the love that you and I have experienced when we come to him is the message and the, and the lesson that says, you know what, 
Don't just love the easy people. Don't just love the people that think like you do. Don't just, don't just love the guys that, you know, that, that believe in me and, and, and do all the good things that we're supposed to do. Love the people that, that, that mock you because you believe in God. Love the people that, that just do not agree with anything that you say. Love the people that are just kind of unlovable because there is nothing that reveals the heart of God better. There is nothing that demonstrates the grace of God better than when we show the grace of God in the life that we live. And if, in verse 45, he says this. He says, he causes, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and he sends the rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. What he's basically saying is people are people. And when the sun feels good to you and you're living right, that's good. But there's somebody that's hating and living a life filled with sin. The sun feels good to them too. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen. To... The point is life happens. But people won't know the change that's happening in your life. And they won't know that you're living a new life if there's not something in you that's different from everybody else. And I would tell you, it's easy to hate other people. It's easy not to love other people. But it says something very clearly when in the midst of all the hatred, in the midst of all the chaos, you can love through it all. That's the kind of message people are looking for. That's the message of hope that Jesus is giving those people on that mountainside that day and today in our hearing. That's the same message of hope. You do not have to live a life dominated by hatred, unforgiveness, bitterness, and, and immoral behavior and thoughts and fun. You don't have to because he paid the ultimate price for you. And the last verse he says in verse 48 in that, in that passage, it's several 48, 49 verses, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, that verse, if you just grab that verse by itself and try to, try to live that verse right there, you're going to have a hard time because we can't do that. But if you remember the snapshot that I started out with of who these people were and where they were and what this meant, you have to understand that everybody that Jesus was talking to that day, if they weren't of a certain lineage, if their grandfather wasn't a certain name, then they didn't have access to the things of God. You had to go to a priest or a Pharisee or some religious structure. If you wanted to connect with God, there was a, a process you had to follow. So these people, they, they knew that they were never going to be good enough. Their salvation was doled out by, by okay, your, your sheep is good enough for a sacrifice, so you can, you can live a, a saved life this year. Or whatever the process was, they didn't have the opportunity to just have a connection and a relationship with God. So everybody that was listening to him knew, I will never be a holy person. I will never be a good person. I will never be a clean person because I'm not of a certain lineage or of a certain tribe. And so when Jesus said, you can be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect, he was giving them a message of hope that was the greatest message they had ever heard. He was basically saying that you have an opportunity to be greater than the people that you look to as your spiritual advisors. You can be perfect in your life. These are people that always felt like they were less than. They always felt like they would never measure up. And let me tell you something. Everybody in this room has faced that issue in their life. When we're talking about things of God, we never feel good enough. We never feel clean enough. I mean, Pastor Scott said it last Sunday. It's, it's such a deception to think that you have to be good in order to come to God. It's kind of like doesn't make any sense. You come to God because you realize you're not good. And you come to God because you realize my good is just not good enough. 
And he's saying, you can be perfect as your heavenly father. Tell me how that works. And that's what he's talking about when he says there's a new life. We don't have to live under the shame of what our past failures were, of what our past sins are, of what our addictions may have been, of what our vices may have been, of what our attitude might have been. We don't have to live under those things anymore. You do not have to live a less than lifestyle. You don't have to consider yourself less than anyone in this room when it comes to your relationship with Christ. You have the opportunity to be a son or a daughter of the king. It's a choice that you get to make. You know, we live in a social media world, and we get to see the highlight reels of everybody that we think is so amazing. If, you know, if I just had his life, then, then I would be good, and everything would be great in my life. Or, or maybe if I was just married to her husband, then everything would be better in my life because he's so much smarter and sweeter than the guy I'm stuck with. <laughs> Look at your husband and say, that's not you. <laughs> Jesus said there's something better for you. It's not your friend's life you're trying to, to live. It's not somebody else's husband that you need. You need a new life. <laughs> Get a life. <laughs> you need a new life. And he came to counterculture so that you and I would know that this is a belief system that is put on me, but I don't have to live like that. I don't have to have anyone tell me I'm not good enough to live a life of freedom. I don't have to have any human tell me that, yeah, you're not just quite good enough to make it. I don't have to listen to any words that anyone would speak over me that is death because I have a Savior who paid for me to hear words of, you are valuable, you matter, you're my child. Come on. This is new life, not old life that brings death. In John 10.10, read it a couple weeks ago, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. It's a promise, and it's for you.